We're in, our, in the third week of an eight-week message series, as you saw in that cool video bumper that Pastor Jeff made, uh, called Vintage Faith, walking through the first nine verses of Second uh, Peter chapter 1. We're looking at how uh, Christ followers can live in a, in, a, in a vibrant, genuine, uh, contagious, in a positive way, uh, life, living, living a faith that vintage that, that, is, that is tried and proven and works in this life and, of course, reflects the character of Jesus in every aspect of our life. And so many of us here this morning, I know it, want to grow in living that way. Knowledge is the focus and the title of this message. Where do people look for knowledge? Libraries? Yes, they still exist. Knowledge. There's something called the internet. People's quest for knowledge. And that vein can certainly lead to facts, but obviously can lead to much information that is Far less than factual, so discernment required, right? We know that. Some people try to gain knowledge, uh, particularly about their future, uh, through something like horoscopes, which firstly, let me just say, is not truth, and secondly, is something that that God uh, very pointedly says in the Bible to stay away from, because its source is not Him, and He wants us to seek direction about our future from Him, and from Him alone. Knowledge. Where do people look for knowledge? Knowledge can be gained from conversations. Yes, those face-to-face interactions that sometimes are lost, is lost in our culture. Maybe it's like uh, knowledge that can be gained from, a, from a, a discussion with a grandparent about some of the, some of the things that it was uh, what it was like to live, excuse me, I've got to fix this here, what it was, what it was like in some ways to, to, to live 50 years ago or so. Grandma, you're telling me that when you wanted to talk to a friend, you had to dial, what? And then you had to talk to a lady that you didn't know, so she, by pulling and putting in wires, could connect you at what? Really? And, and then you didn't know, as you were talking to your friend, once you were connected, you didn't know if the gossip-hungry farmer's wife down the country road was listening in on your conversation or not. Some of you are going, what, what is he talking about? Party line. That's no party. I guess it's how the farmer's wife got her knowledge of what was going on. Knowledge. Some people dedicate their lives to the pursuit of it. They spend vast amounts of money and time and sometimes sacrifice uh, yeah, time and, and, and relationships in the quest of it. And, and many times that knowledge that is being sought is good, helpful, necessary, of course. Some people love the idea of knowledge, or maybe, maybe for some it's more what they feel like when they can make others think that they know everything about everything. Have you ever 
spent some time with someone like that, it can, it can get old quickly, can't it? Knowledge. So what does knowledge have to do? Here it is, one of these seven character traits. We're looking at one each week for these weeks coming up. This is the second character trait and the third Sunday because Harvey launched us in the whole foundation that we see in the Scripture, and we'll read it in a moment. What does knowledge have to do with living a vibrant and positively contagious Christian life? Well, let's read the passage together this morning. And um, I'm going to ask you to stand uh, this morning and read out loud with me from 2 Peter 1, 1 to 5, okay? Let's read together. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. Father, open your word to our heart and our heart to your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You be, be seated, please. So as I mentioned already, we're looking at what an attractive Christian, in, in the whole of this series, what an attractive Christian life looks like. Because, verse 3, we just read, His divine, this is cool, His divine power. I, I don't have to do this on my own, that's key. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge uh, of Him. And I do that to picture a connection, relationally, and we'll talk about that this morning a little bit more. There are often inaccurate stereotypes of a godly life. He's given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him, a godly life. Inaccurate stereotypes. What, what comes to mind? Probably all kinds of things, I suppose. But biblically, a godly life is, is, is not a weird life. It's not a life that is somehow disconnected or disengaged or, you know, with, with what we might think of as, as, as real life. It's not. It's one, rather, that consistently and very simply displays love for God and love for people. I'm going to come back to that a few times today. That's what all this um, uh, add to your faith, uh, these qualities, uh, is all about. Growing increasingly effective at reflecting the, the loving character of Jesus to others in our interactions day to day, which, which proves actually that we truly do love God when we, when we love others well. Last Sunday's message was add to your faith goodness, today knowledge as we said. 
And in coming Sundays, we're going to see, uh, as we see the list, in, if we were to read on verse 6 and 7, and we will through the coming weeks, uh, we'll look at self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. Those character qualities. Add these to your faith that you already have. Character qualities that honor God and inspire others. And God is saying, again, God is saying, add, add these character qualities to, uh, to your Christian faith that you already received for free. Yes, it's free, but it costs something very significant, of course, in the life of Jesus. And therein lies a crucial reminder as we start today that I, again, briefly want to highlight that has been mentioned last Sunday and the week before, but I've found in my interactions with many people that this is a, a reminder that is, is so necessary many, many times. Crucial reminder is this, that as we talk about making every effort, did you notice that in the passage we read together? Make every effort. Ooh, that sounds like it's on me. It's part of the equation, my response, my choice, my decision, my effort, yes, not for salvation, but on the other side of salvation to grow in becoming like Christ. Make every effort to add to your faith. Oh, there's already a faith there. That's the assumption. It's, th- this is not, friends, this is not at all about trying to make God happy so He'll love us more or so that, uh, you know, we'll, we, we can then be really sure of our eternal salvation or our, or our place in heaven with Him. No, a thousand times no, that's not it. The assurance is given by God the moment we choose to trust Christ and surrender to Him, placing, placing our faith in who Jesus is and what He did on the cross, right? That's, that's got to be clear. And, and the faith that we are to add all these character qualities to, and that's a lifetime project. Oh, maybe not for you, but I'm thinking it is for me. I'm pretty convinced of that already. A lifetime project, a growth curve that we're on. But the, the faith that we are to add these character qualities to is a personal faith. It's not, it's not religion in the sense of, you know, a legalistic, guilt-motivated list of, of do's and don'ts to live by. That's not it. Now, of course, there are some things that we are wise to do and, and that God wants us to do and, and to incorporate into our lives, of course. And there are some things that, uh, that are clear in, in, in the Bible that God talks about, the things that are, we know are sinful and, and destructive uh, things, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, otherwise, uh, things that God, because He loves us and because He wants the best for us, says, uh, stay away from. Don't do that. Don't go there. Right? But it's not in doing or not doing that I am brought into a relationship with Jesus. Okay? I might be overstressing this, and for some of you, you this, is, this is your experience, you know this, but I've, I've found in interactions with people over the years that this, this really needs to be uh, just unpacked very, very, very clearly. The key point here is this, that everything that needed to be done for you and I to enter into and to live this life and move into eternity in a, in a, in a, uh, a personal and, as I said, eternal relationship with God Everything that needed to be done for that to happen was done where? By Christ on the cross. By Christ on the cross. Never forget that. 
and, and of course, proven that it's legit by his resurrection. Sealed the deal, right? It's the event in history which makes the, uh, this, this relational knowledge of Jesus available to us. And in verse 2 and 3, there's two times the word knowledge appears before we get to the character trait at the end of verse 5, knowledge that we're talking about. And it's a slightly different Greek word, but essentially, essentially the same. Verse 2 and 3, Bible passage says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God. Verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him. Both times here, this knowledge is referring to uh, the believer's relationship, personal relationship with God, as opposed to merely knowing facts about God, which from the English word is a safe, kind of understandable at least, assumption. But it's more than that. It's more than just facts. And then we get to the add knowledge, add knowledge phrase at the end of verse 5. This is the, this is the character development aspect of knowledge, which, which, which is very simply, uh, this stuff isn't rocket science. It's just tougher to live out than, than to hear and to digest mentally, right? But um, knowledge, this, this, this character development aspect of knowledge is, is simply knowledge applied. Knowledge applied, and again, it shows itself by loving God and loving people well. Or maybe even better put, loving God by loving people well. And this solid foundation of personal faith that we've talked about already, that that we are to add knowledge to on top of goodness, is crucial because, the next point, there is danger in knowledge. Yes, there is. There's danger, potentially, in knowledge. If, if there is no uh, genuine foundation, as we looked at two Sundays ago, of, of a genuine relationship with Jesus and, and no character of God's goodness added to the mix, as we talked about last Sunday, knowledge alone can be toxic. Knowledge alone can be toxic. Pride can so easily factor in, which is a a spiritual poison. The Apostle Paul, the the great uh, New Testament missionary, probably the greatest missionary of all time, uh, wrote about half of the New Testament through, as as Jeff referred to earlier, God's Word, the Bible coming to us, God speaking, but through people. So there's some, some personality, there's some experiences there, and boy, did Paul ever have some. But he wrote to a group of Christians in the city of Corinth, the letter in the New Testament, the, the middle of the New Testament is, is the first of two to that church, 1 Corinthians 8, he, he says this very simply, knowledge puffs up. Well, isn't that contradictory to what we're talking about when Peter says, add to your faith knowledge? No, knowledge alone. Is, is, is essentially what he's saying. Knowledge alone. Knowledge for the sake of knowledge can so easily puff up. Look at me, right? Paul says, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. That's a neat little phrase. That's a neat little a memorable scripture verse to latch on to because that, that, that'll walk itself out either way in our lives. We can come across as arrogant because we know stuff or, or we can just love people and be humble. 
And, and share, sure, sure, share the knowledge that we have that God has allowed us to, 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 to grow in and to experience and to learn. Yes, knowledge puffs up while love builds up, Paul says. It's a huge difference. Last Sunday, I referred to a little book, uh, excellent book I'd recommend for you in uh, this uh, study, uh, Hidden in Plain Sight by Mark Buchanan, who formerly was a pastor, I think, on Vancouver Island, uh, author, of course. I'm quoting his book, so he's an author, and a Christian uh, professor. In the knowledge chapter in that book, he gives a good example of, uh, uh, of the, he's talking about the poison of, of pride, uh, which knowledge left, knowledge by itself can lead to. And he uses, for, for a good little example of the poison of pride, the uh, puffer fish. Isn't that a beautiful animal? The puffer fish. Looks, looks intriguing. Looks like, man, that'd be fun to hold and see, how, you know, how, whatever, throw that at somebody. I'm not sure what you'd do with that. It looks intriguing, looks interesting. But most of you know, it's dangerous, it's deadly. Most of the, or many of the um, variations of the puffer fish are some of the most deadly toxins. Knowledge that is not rooted in genuine faith in Jesus and in His goodness causes head swell, <laughs> puffs up. It causes head swell and, and becomes, becomes either a weapon or a trophy and not a gift that it can be and should be. Yes, we're instructed to add knowledge to our faith. But knowledge that is based on and put upon a genuine relationship as we walk humbly before our God and goodness. And then this knowledge comes. So, add knowledge. Add knowledge. The last part of verse 5, as we've, as we've referenced already, add Add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. The word knowledge here, again, is not merely possessing information. I, I think you know that already. I mean, how often did we sit in our high school or college classrooms and, you know, we're learning all kinds of information at the time. Some of it interesting information uh, as we look back. Uh, uh, some of it good information. Yet how often did we say, well, how is this going to apply to my life? How is this going to make me a better truck driver or teacher or architect? How is this going to help me get the girl? How is it going to apply to my life? You know, real stuff, real life stuff. Fair questions, sometimes. The original language that this letter of, uh, of 2 Peter was written in was, the, uh, was Greek. And the word knowledge at the end of verse 5 is the Greek word gnosis, G-N. Do I have it there? Yes, I do. Uh, gnosis is, is how they pronounce Not to be confused with the uh, early church heresy known as Gnosticism. We won't get into that in no time right now. But uh, Gnosis is not, uh, not merely an intellectual knowledge. Or, or uh, let me put it, it's not merely an intellectual apprehension. It's more than that. It's a practical knowledge that enables a Christian to make decisions that are right, good, and honorable. Applied God's knowledge about how to do life applied by our choice in those tough moments even as Christ followers. 
And the clear implication uh, from this passage and, of course, from the whole New Testament is that living this way is only possible again. Intentional Intentional redundancy here is only possible as we build it on a genuine, humble, deep recognition of grace received kind of relationship with Jesus Christ. And I say it again, it's a knowledge that helps us live out the great commandment. Great commission is go, make disciples. Jesus' great commandment, I said it already, help us live out His great commandment of loving God and loving people. Matthew 22. In verses 8 and 9 in 2 Peter, it expresses why why God wants us to add to our faith all of these uh, Christ-like character qualities. So I'm going to read verse 8 and 9. For if you possess, this is good, uh, if you possess, we're kind of jumping ahead here, but if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge, relational knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then verse 9, but whoever does not have them, these qualities, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. It's like we we forget about how God initiated His work of grace in our lives if we don't become aware of how well we're doing at growing in our character to become like Christ. It's easy, I suppose, sometimes to think about God's grace shown to us in Christ and the forgiveness and the right relationship we're brought into and just go on with life from there. All good. Good to go. I'll arrive however I get there and uh, whatever I look like when I get there and not be aware or focused on prayerfully the development of my character so that I can reflect God and His love well in my life sphere or spheres of influence. We can tell, apparently, from verse 8 and 9, don't we see this? That that we can actually tell if if a Christian is growing or not as a disciple of Jesus. Because if they're not, what we just read, they're they're barren, they they don't work for Christ in any way, because they're, they're consumers. They're unfruitful in the growth of character in their lives. They're they're even referred to as, as, as blind. That doesn't really jive with the message of what it means to be a Christ follower and the illumination of truth and who Jesus is, right? It just doesn't fit. Again, God doesn't love us more. The better we do at this character development thing, no. But, but He still wants us committed to doing the hard work, yes, the hard work many times, of of cooperating with His Spirit so that we are continually growing in how we display His love and grace and character in our everyday interactions. And I want you to think as I say that. That's an easy comment just to to let. It's so, ah, I don't want to say Christianese because it's just, it's truth. It's, uh, but don't let it, don't. I want you to think of interactions you had last week. Where, where, where this applies, where, where I could have, maybe I, I did 
show the love and grace. And as we talked last Sunday, hopefully opportunities to show His goodness. I want you to think about interactions that you, you believe will happen this week. They're on your calendar or whatever. And, and maybe some of them you know already they're going to be challenging. How does your relational knowledge of Jesus impact? What does Jesus call you to do in light of that difficult conversation that might be on your calendar this week? How does loving God look as you interact with that difficult person? This is the knowledge we're talking about. Doing what we know God wants us to do. Knowledge that's applied to bring God's grace and love to people. That's what, that's what it's about. And you know what we say in our world? I, I don't know if I just said that or not, but we, we often, I do, I, I think, talk about growing so that we can display His love in our world. That's good. But sometimes I think the connotation, that, that phrase in our world sounds, I don't know, so romantic. Or, or maybe, maybe that's not the word. Maybe it's more, um, it's not, not tangible. It's, it's, uh, it's elusive even. It's out there somewhere. As, oppo- as opposed to getting a little more specific and talking about, what about showing this relational knowledge, God's love, in our families? that can sometimes be the most difficult. What about, what about talking about showing this, this knowledge of God in our church family, in our community, where we live, you know, where, where, where there are bad drivers and overbearing neighbors? What about showing all of this character of Jesus in our school where's, where, where there's that arrogant basketball team member? What about that? little tougher. So to put it very simply, what's this knowledge of 2 Peter 1, 5? It's knowing what Jesus would want us to do in every situation and doing it. It's knowing what Jesus would want us to say, how He would want us to respond, how He would want us to stretch in giving, uh, whatever, and doing it, following through. You might say, well, how am I supposed to know what He wants me to do all the time? Glad you asked. And here's where we're landing the plane, in a very simple place. And as I said last Sunday, so simple that if you've been walking with Jesus and around church for a long time, the easiest thing for you to do is just to let this be, you know, slip away from attaching to your heart and, and, and your and your calendar, and your determination to follow through. Very simply, non-surprising for most of you, non-surprising two-part application. The first step, in response to that question, how am I supposed to know what He wants me to do all the time? And, and many of you, you're already there. The first step is knowing, is really knowing God's Word. Really knowing God's Word, the Bible. And, and I know, I know, I know, this all keeps coming back to the, to the basics, doesn't it? And as I just referenced, it's, it's where we landed last Sunday in the message application moments. But that's not only okay, that's good. 
As a matter of fact, it's not only good, it's necessary. As a matter of fact, it's not only necessary, I believe it's absolutely necessary to stress, especially when you understand and, and when you see evidence of the, the, how, how, how biblically illiterate even many Christians are. So that's the starting place, finding a way to engage with God's powerful, life-transforming Word. And, and maybe you're honest enough to put yourself in that category, as I referenced just a moment ago, the, uh, biblically illiterate or essentially so. Because you, maybe for you, and you're, you're a Christian, you're, you want to follow Christ, but, but you seldom or, or, or maybe never open the Bible and read it. Let me tell you, if you're honest enough to, to, to admit that, to recognize that, way to go, way to go. If you're saying right now, that's, Marlo, that, that's me. And I don't want to continue on that trajectory, but th that's me. Way, way to go. You're, you're teeing yourself up for, for forward movement. You're teeing things up to move beyond staying in that, uh, in that zone. So way to go. You cannot have the knowledge that 2 Peter uh, talks about without reading your Bible consistently, systematically, opening your heart to New Testament passages particularly that speak about how to live this life like Jesus would. Won't happen, can't happen without opening your heart and mind and, and life to the Bible. And let me say this, no audio book or podcast can replace, nor should they replace, the daily intake of God's written Word to your heart and mind. There are people who talk a lot about podcasts, and I'm not against podcasts, or, or the latest Christian book published, but, but seldom, sometimes, I, I, I've noticed, seldom will talk about how God's Word has inspired or challenged them that morning. My friends, we, we cannot do what God is calling us to do in this passage of Scripture and in the whole of the New Testament without spending time in God's precious and powerful Word. Now, having said that, of course, there are certainly excellent books and, and, and many uh, biblically solid speakers that can help us and help us gain uh, insight and ideas as to how to put God's Word into action. Of course, I'm not disparaging that. Uh, read those books and all of that. Get some good recommendations uh, from, from a Christian friend that you trust. But, but never, never let other books or, or podcasts or whatever replace or, or supersede your engagement with God's written Word, the Bible. So, how am I supposed to know what God wants me to do? Be in the Word. And I, I'd love to help you if that's new territory for you. Simple things. Basic things. Talk to me. Talk to someone that you're here with today. What do you do? Ask questions. Secondly, make a conscious decision as you engage with the Bible and you're seeing and reading these, these character development stuff and about life and how to do it in Christ-honoring ways, then make a conscious decision and even a daily decision. And a daily decision sometimes even means moment-by-moment -moment decision because I can make a commitment as I'm going out the door of my home in the morning and say, God, I'm going to follow through on what I know, how I know you want me to, to live today. And then 
by 2 o'clock, that conversation with somebody starts to, you know, it's just, oh, there's that commitment. has got to come back into play. I am choosing to apply God's Word to my life in this moment, God. We must choose to live out what we know of His desires for me. His desires that are, again, clear in the Bible. Sim- so simply stated, application today. Know His Word, obey His Word. That's it. It's not going to happen in a moment. It's not going to happen in a week. It's not going to happen in a month. The lifetime growth curve that I'm on with you. Know His Word, obey His Word. Application today. Walk out of here with that in your mind. God, help me. Help me. Lead me. Guide me in how to, how to know Your Word and to obey Your Word. That's it. We also all know that without applying knowledge, it's, it's virtually useless, isn't it? And you never know when an opportunity to apply knowledge will present itself. A story to illustrate as we close. Tire tech shop worker Cross Scott of Arizona had no idea what his routine test drive of a customer's car would lead to that day. During his test drive, he noticed a vehicle by the side of the road, hazard lights flashing, and the driver slumped over the wheel, the steering wheel. Before he knew it, he had pulled his car over and he had sprung into action until he quickly remembered that he didn't have CPR training. But fortunately, Scott had watched the episode of the TV show, The Office, called Stress Relief. And on the show, the office employees are all there. They were being taught to administer CPR by their competent boss, Steve Carell's character, to the tune of the Bee Gees song, Staying Alive, because... Song's tempo of 100 beats per minute is the recommended rate for applying chest compressions. Ah, 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 staying alive, staying alive. Can you see it? Life, life just comes. Beautiful, beautiful. We should probably verify this with trained emergency responders in our church like Dale Weiss and Troy Brady can help us later on that. But back to Mr. Scott. Tire tech turned medic, armed with a bit of knowledge from the office, began chest uh, chest compression, singing along with actor Steve Carell in his mind. I'm not making this up. The woman later soon regained consciousness. And the Tucson uh, Fire Department paramedic confirmed that her situation may well have been uh, very different if Mr. Scott had not intervened. A little bit of knowledge applied can make a big difference. And the moral of this story is not to watch The Office. just want to make that clear. Applied knowledge is what we're talking about. Because applied knowledge, the knowledge that God has given to us, I'm trying to find a word that's just not overused. I can go to powerful, it's powerful, it's life transforming, it's eternity changing kind of stuff. 
It really is. This knowledge applied as we live it out. In many life situations, choosing to not apply knowledge that we possess can result, though, in some sad and bad outcomes. We read some of the sad outcomes in the lives of Christ followers from verse 8 and 9 of this passage. Maybe another example is, you know, one day you're reading in the, the, the fourth gospel, which is just an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. And in John uh, chapter 17, uh, many of you know the, the prayer that Jesus prayed there. Uh, it was a prayer that he's praying to his father uh, uh, just a little bit before his death and, and the time when his mission on earth would be, would be complete and he'd head back to heaven, supernaturally ascending. And, and he's praying. What's he praying for? He's praying for unity in the body of Christ, unity between his disciples and between uh, all of us. He says, for all those who will come to believe. Ah, we're included in that prayer of Jesus. So when you act in a way that is contributing to disunity in the body, you're going against the prayer that we see so clearly laid out in John chapter 17. Because repeatedly in that prayer, Jesus prays that we'd be what? What? I don't often do this. It's kind of manipulative, but that he, Jesus prayed that you and I would be one. One. As you and I, Father, are one. Whoa, that's, that's, how do you say it? Tight oneness. Uncompromised oneness. Jesus prayed that. So, getting back to applied knowledge. We, we, cannot, we cannot read that passage in the morning and then close our Bible and go out of our door holding on to this grudge in my heart to, towards somebody else in, in my church family. Can't. Ah, I suppose you can. <laughs> but God doesn't want us to. God doesn't want to add knowledge to your goodness that you added to your faith means that I will do something. I'll pick up the phone. I'll say, did I misunderstand? Did I hurt you in some way? What, what's going on between us? Let's, let's read John 17 together. Let's, let's come back together. Let's, let's work. Let's choose to, in this moment, be an answer to the prayer of Jesus in John 17. That kind of stuff begins to happen when we are adding this kind of knowledge to our faith. The knowledge that we are to add to our faith is practical knowledge. And it must, it must result in obedient response to action that honors God and inspires others. And the unity thing is one of many examples. And so this application, read the Bible and do everything through your, through your determination. Ah, Second Peter 1, make every effort. So read the Bible and do everything through your determination and the Holy Spirit's power to put into action in every situation, in every conversation, in every reaction, in every money decision, in every conversation in family or at school or at work, in every interaction with people in your church family or in your community or when for the 16th time in a row you've got a Tim Hortons cup that says, Please play again. I do not want to play again. Give me another cup. Do you do that? No, I don't. I didn't do that, by the way. I felt like it. I've been on a bad run here this time. That's silly. Knowledge referred to in this passage is applied. And the best way to apply what God wants us to apply is to know His Word, 
and obey his word. Know his word and obey his word. James 1, 22 says, just, uh, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. And then it talks about it, the person who closes the Bible and then doesn't go take care of the, 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 the relationship where the, the other person has a grudge or I've got a grudge or whatever it is. The, the, the person who closes the Bible and does nothing about that after reading the Bible is like the person who looks in a mirror, sees what they look like, goes away, and forgets what they look like. Now, that seems like an odd illustration, what? but it, it, it's just that silly. You don't turn away from the mirror and automatically forget what you look like. No, that's, that's the whole point. James 1, 22 to 25, you might want to spend some time reading that. You know, this morning, maybe you're at a stage in your life when you're exploring what it means to be a Christ follower. By the New Testament definition, becoming a Christian means that you recognize Jesus as God, you recognize His death on the cross was the payment for your sin, and that His resurrection sealed the deal that He could in fact deliver eternal salvation to you. Simply need to ask God to forgive your sin and begin to lead your life, and maybe this morning you want to do that. I would love to hear about it if, if, you, if you make that choice to, to step into a relationship with Jesus. Worship band, I'm going to ask you to come and close in a song this morning. And as they lead us in this, in this song, if you're at a place... Now, Christian, if you're a Christian, you, you've heard the Word. I want you to take some moments as we, as we, as we wrap up here to... to to talk to God about how it's going to look in your life this week. The application, the knowing and obeying. Knowing God, reading, engaging more with God's Word, obeying God's Word. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christ follower, never taken that step to begin to build a, a, a Jesus-based life. These moments, that can happen. You talk to God. Just, that's prayer. Just talk to God. Say, God, I, I want your grace. I, I, I thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that you love me so much. Jesus, that you gave your life for me. I want to submit. I want to surrender my life. I want to turn from my sin. I want to follow you. Talk to God like that as we, as we close in these moments. We're going to sing this song, and then I'm going to come, and we're going to close in prayer. So stand together, and let's, let's worship. Let's talk to God. Do what you need to do, Christian or not. Do what you need to do in these moments.